Well, um, tonight I'm going to talk about right speech. Could we turn it down just a little because it's, there's an echo or something? Um, I'm going to talk about the topic of right speech, um, the third uh, step, the third um, principle on the Eightfold Path of Buddhist teaching, the Buddhist, Buddhist practice. And uh, I'm not talking about this because I'm an expert on the topic, but um, I am talking about it because it, it, it's a topic that's rather dear to me uh, because uh, when I was first encountering Buddhism, um, the first oral teaching that I heard was a teaching about right speech. Uh, I had, prior to that time, uh, as almost everyone does, been reading books about Zen, mainly. Uh, but uh, this, I encountered this oral teaching, not from a teacher. I didn't really, <clears throat> you know, this was, this was before the Internet. You know, so you, you couldn't really, you know, go online at this time and, and meet uh, other Buddhists or there wasn't this proliferation of uh, information about, about Buddhism or, you know, say Buddhist communities that existed. Uh, so I didn't really know too much about Buddhist communities. And at that point, I wasn't really interested in, you know, yet in, in, in encountering uh, uh, Buddhist community, but I did uh, run into people occasionally who uh, knew something about Buddhism. And so I was uh, living in this uh, kind of communal house, and I don't know what prompted this, but one of my roommates, one of the people that lived there, uh, told me that uh, the Buddha's teaching on right speech was uh, three criterion. Uh, is it kind? Is it true? And is it necessary? Is it kind? Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it necessary? And that has that formula has stuck with me, you know, because it was one of the first. Oh, somebody, a living person, actually told me with this teaching, and it and uh, uh, I've since learned, of course, that that, that is that's not quite the Buddhist teaching. Uh, closer would be, is, is it kind? That's true. Is it true? Uh, but is it, is it timely? Is it the right time to say something? Uh, that's closer to really the, the Buddha's teaching. Uh, but this, uh, this teaching, uh, given my, my experience in life at that point, was a fairly, uh, a foreign teaching to me. Uh, I, in my, uh, Original Sangha, we call this, you know, a, a Sangha. This is a gathering of Buddhist practitioners we call a Sangha. My original Sangha was my family. And uh, this teaching of right speech was was not known there. Uh, so, uh, and, and we suffered because, we suffered because this teaching was not known uh, and, and practiced particularly. So in my in my family, uh, the 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 purpose of speech was often uh, on the part of part of the adults in my family was was kind of a, a command and control uh, modality of speech, uh, motivating behavior on on the part of the children, and uh, the the responsive speech to uh, that speech uh, came in the form uh, of uh, statements of resistance and rebellion. Uh, so uh, naturally, uh, uh, this led to conflict. And uh, and uh, as I say, uh, we we uh, we suffered because we uh, we had not been taught um, that speech. <laughs> You know, was a, was a vehicle for some exchange. You know, back and forth. Some, uh, well, how about this? And oh, okay. What? What? How about this? And you know, some means of of uh, 
reaching a compromise. Speech is often, you know, a, a means of reaching a compromise, reaching some agreement with people, reach, reaching some accord with people. Um, but uh, that modality of speech was not well known, as I said. Um, so when I encountered um, this teaching, I was impressed by it, and I thought, I thought I have a lot to learn. I have a lot to learn about speech, and I didn't really even know how much I had to learn because I read recently. I read this thing recently that just blew me away. Uh, that um, that within uh, 45 minutes of a human being's birth, uh, that human being starts to imitate uh, the faces that it sees. Within 45 minutes, we start to take in information from our environment and respond to it. And actually, that's when we start to learn how to respond to our parents and to the world by imitation. And it starts <laughs> so soon and so quickly. So we should all understand that um, we have, um, you know, whatever we have received, if we have received good habits, uh, we will, of speech or anything else, we will no doubt be able to uh, imitate those good habits and uh, and that will go you know things will go well for us and if we don't you know if we imitate uh, bad habits uh, things may not go so well and we may have a lot to learn about how to get along with other people and how to have effective relationships so uh, this is this is you know why we have a teaching uh, about right speech uh, so we can we can start to uh, learn better habits and study these 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 habits of speech that are that are uh, effective and kind and uh, gentle and facilitative of of uh, good communication and good understanding between uh, ourselves and other people. So I think that right speech and uh, and well, the two the two main uh, teachings of right speech uh, is is the speech true and is the speech kind uh, these are these are sort of almost synonyms for the for the two main principles of Buddhism uh, the two main principles of Buddhism Buddhist teaching uh, being uh, a wisdom. Uh, Wisdom and compassion, those two main principles. So uh, when the Buddha teaches, um, we, ex and we expect the Buddha's speech to be true. Uh, true speech is a hallmark of the wise. That's, that's, that's the way the wise speaks is, is, is from truth. They, they speak from truth. They, they speak from uh, the wise speak from uh, deep um, understanding, deep in touchness with their own body and mind, and uh, because of that deep sense of in touchness, intimacy. Sometimes we say, uh, then the words that come out uh, are tend to be true because they're based on that being's experience and they're talking from experience from the what they are immediately in touch with in their environment uh, so if I say you know there's cool air blowing through this room I'm making a true statement a, a true statement based on uh, what I'm perceiving right now what I'm perceiving right now so to speak in accord with our perceptions and with our experience is, is tends in the direction of truth. And the wise speak from truth. And the wise also speak from a deep sense of connection with others and, and, and a deep sense of 
non-alienation from other people, a, a deep sense of, of uh, uh, simpatico, if you will, with others, uh, not a sense of um, uh, fear or anxiety or, um, yeah, those are, that's enough. <laughs> fear, not, not a sense, not from the sense of fear and anxiety or if, or if a wise being has fear and anxiety, they, they acknowledge that to themselves when they speak. And, that, and when they acknowledge that to themselves, then their speech can be, can be kind uh, because they're taking care of their situation, which might be fear and anxiety, and they're, tr- and they're making their best effort to meet another person, to meet another person uh, with a kind mind and a, a caring, compassionate attitude. So these two, these two uh, factors are really the hallmarks of right speech, in addition to uh, timeliness, which I will uh, talk about later. So uh, in, in this tradition, uh, as some of you know, but not all of you know, we take... Uh, we uh, we have ten um, um, moral um, guide guidances, we can say, and and three of them are about speech. So if that's almost the third, and the um, uh, the, the these three are uh, we uh, endeavor uh, and we actually vow. Uh, not to to refrain from speaking falsely, uh, to uh, refrain from slandering other people, uh, knocking people down with our speech, and we refrain from praising uh, the self uh, in, in in reference to others, making making ourselves through our speech, making ourselves look good while we make somebody else look less good. Uh, So uh, we refrain from, another way of saying is we refrain from lying. Uh, We refrain from uh, discussing the faults of others. And if if there's one thing you take away from this talk tonight is uh, take this precept to heart. The one about discussing the faults of others uh, because social harmony is uh, so much uh, benefited if we uh, take on the practice of not discussing the faults of others. And this is not only good for the other, but this is good for ourselves. And this is good for the group if we, if we don't discuss the faults of others. Uh, if you want to discuss the faults of someone, go to them and t- discuss it with them. That's okay. If you see some fault with another and, and, and you're up for it, you can go and discuss them, discuss it with them. Uh, that's okay. It's what we're talking about is I go to a you and I discuss the faults of your friend. And this we say, no, do not do this. This is the thing to avoid. Uh, in, in, and, and by taking that practice on um, and working with it internally, or you could even go, you could, you know, but like, you know, just be, just be mindful of that one, that one precept and it will go a long way toward a happy life. That's what I say. And I, I found this demonstrated over and over again. Because uh, when I was working, I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't discuss the faults of others. And if you've ever worked in an organization, and there is a big tendency to, have gossip, right? And discuss the faults of other people. And so you can go to lunch and you can hear people talking like this. You can hear people talking ad nauseum about the faults of others. And, and I say, uh, do not do. Uh, and your life will be uh, greatly benefited. And then uh, then the final one uh, is you know not using speech to compare ourselves to other people, 
to their detriment and to our greatness, right? Building ourselves up. So this is, and we do this in, we can do this in gross ways or we can do this in, in, in subtle ways. We can, we can uh, shade things uh, to uh, make ourselves look uh, uh, superior uh, just by, um, you know, small, small acts that we do. Uh, so this is something else to be, and all of these are for the purpose of uh, benefiting and, and our mindfulness. Th- these are these are topics to be mindful about. They're pointing out tendencies we have to speak in certain ways, and they're and they're and the the teaching is asking us be mindful about uh, uh, speaking falsehoods. Just be mindful about. It. And if you see yourself doing it, question it. And 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 I'm going to tell you about a recent time that I spoke a falsehood, and uh, but uh, I won't do it right now because um, it's not coming up yet. So um, oh yeah, I was going to bring up. Um, so we have a practice. Excuse me, my throat's been a little. We have a practice um, in in our sitting meditation, and it kind of it relates a little bit to speech. And this practice is when we sit. One of the instructions is uh, to place the tongue against the. Soft palate against the actually well actually it's against the hard palate. Um, it's it's against the roof of the mouth and behind the teeth. So when you sit, you rest your tongue behind your teeth and uh, and up to the top of your mouth. Uh, so this is the best this is the best way to still the tongue. And you know the tongue is is very connected to speech. And of course, speech is very connected to our thinking. So if you if you actually win zazen, if you actually notice that you rest the tongue against the roof of your mouth behind your teeth, keep your lip keep your lips closed and quiet, and your tongue quiet, this actually has the effect of quieting the mind. This will help quiet the mind because your tongue isn't moving as it does when you're speaking. Uh, and uh, the other thing is that um, <laughs> I uh, would propose uh, that this practice of quieting the mouth and the tongue um, gives you, uh, enhances your capacity to hold your tongue, literally to hold your tongue, to not speak when you might be tempted to say something untoward or say something harmful or say something uh, that you will later regret. So um, it's not, well, maybe you could actually, when that when that thought comes and you're about to say something, you could just put your tongue on <laughs> the roof of your mouth. But I, w- I would just say that uh, in some um in some sort of hidden physiological way, uh, that practice is is helping us hold our tongue, and wrecking and helping us. And zazen really helps with this, and it's one of the great blessings for which I am so grateful for my practice. Is it is zazen helps you find the gap between thinking something and saying it. And that is a great blessing for your life. If you can think something and you have a moment, a gap there where you can reflect and be mindful of that thought and you may decide because you're of your mindfulness and because of your practice, you may decide to cut off the connection between the thought and your tongue. And that in many cases, will be a great blessing for you. It will come in handy. It's a wonderful tool, shall we say. 
It's a wonderful tool to have in your toolkit to be able to think something and to say, to, have, to be mindful and not say it. So in the middle length discourses, which I consulted for this talk, uh, the Buddha gives five criteria for right speech. Is it timely or untimely? Is it true or untrue? Is it gentle or harsh? Is it connected with good or with harm? Is it spoken with a mind of loving kindness or with inner hate? So there's five teachings on right speech from the Buddha. And he recommends to his monks that they train in this way. Our minds, this is like he's channeling this, this, these words into their minds. Our minds will remain unaffected and we shall utter no evil words. We shall abide compassionate for the welfare of others with a mind of loving kindness without inner hate. So, uh, you know, it says our minds shall remain unaffected. This does not mean, you know, we, uh, <clears throat> we, don't, we don't feel anything. It doesn't mean that. It means that even though we could hear some spark, spark, sp <laughs> harsh speech directed at us, for instance, um, our mind would be unaffected in, in the sense of it wouldn't arouse harshness in our mind. We would hear some harsh speech. We would hear some attack on ourselves, but uh, our mind would remain unaffected. That's what they're talking about. And that is the practice of a whole lifetime. That is the practice of a whole, whole lifetime, to not arouse, to not allow hatred to, to arise even when one is attacked. In another place, the Buddha teaches about covert and overt speech. I understand uh, covert speech is as uh, speech speaking uh, about someone behind their back. So, so you're speaking about um, um, Brett, but I, I'm I'm talking to Oscar. I'm talking to Oscar about Brett, and uh, so this is this is an occasion, and this is what the teaching says. The Buddha says. Here, monks, when one knows covert speech to be untrue, incorrect, and unbeneficial, one should on no account utter it. When one knows covert speech to be true, correct, and unbeneficial, one should try not to utter it. But when one knows covert speech to be true, correct, and beneficial, one may utter it, knowing the time to do so. So... I think that the only time that is without a doubt um, okay to speak covertly behind someone's back is when you're worried about them. You have some concern about them, and I want to talk to Oscar about what I'm worried about in Brett. You know, Brett. So I I, I want to I want to. I think Oscar might be able to help the situation or help me cope with the situation or respond to the situation. So I talked to him in that instance uh, about Brett's situation. So that's, that. I'm trying, my motivation is to be helpful and my motivation is to be beneficial. I have no thought of harm uh, and I want to help the situation. So that's, that's, that's a situation which we may, in, Engage in covert speech, but we should be very careful. We should be very careful in other situations uh, when we are speaking about another uh, without their being present. And 
I admit this does limit the opportunities for conversation. Uh, it, it, you know, this, 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 there's, there's a certain amount of, you know, juiciness that is lost uh, because uh, we are not discussing the faults of others. But I think, nevertheless, um, uh, you can enjoy the silence. You can enjoy the silence of not speaking about the fault of another person to a third person. So in the uh, finally final quote here from the Middle Length Discourses, this is the definition of right speech. And what, friends, is right speech? Abstaining from false speech, abstaining from a malicious speech, abstaining from harsh speech, and abstaining from idle chatter. Again, reducing the opportunities for conversation, perhaps. Um, this is called right speech. So this is the part where I uh, tell you about uh, my breaking this uh, precept uh, of uh, not speaking falsehoods. Uh, and it happened recently, and I, I really noticed it. I was uh, out in the uh, woods in the trail on a trail, and I had gone up because I, I just liked the 4th of July, and I wanted to go someplace where I would not hear a firecracker, and I succeeded in that. Uh, by going up into the mountains. And I was walking on this trail, um, and I came to a fork in the trail, and um, I, I tried to go the direction that I thought I, you know, was my goal, and I came there, and it was, it was all full of water. The whole trail was, uh, we had a lot of snow and so forth, and there were a ton of mosquitoes and, and so forth, and it was really wet. I mean, it was really like I would have had to wade through the trail, which the trail itself had all this water in. So I turned around and I went back to where I had seen a fork and I took that fork, but I didn't know where that fork went. So I encountered some people on the trail and I innocently enough asked these people, where, where does this trail go? Where, where am I going? Well, um, this triggered uh, the, the person that I was talking to, uh, to become, in my opinion, overly concerned about my welfare. Like I had taken a trail and I didn't know where I was and uh, you know, maybe I'm uh, too old to be out there or something. And this is a young person, so I don't know what they were thinking. Um, and, and, and this person this person asked me, do you, do you, does someone know you're out here? <laughs> and, and I was like, what business of yours? But, I didn't say that. I just said yes. But in fact, uh, no one knew exactly where I was. And I was far from where anyone ex actually expected me to be because I had kind of just followed my own instincts about where I was going that day. And I was by myself. And I didn't care to, you know. And, and so I said, yes, oh yes, someone knows where I am. And uh, that, you know, well, there was some further exchange uh, with, the, but with this rather intrusive person, but I managed to move on down the trail. But I thought about it later, and I, you know, I did recognize that I had, just for the sake of my own uh, uh, comfort or my own, uh, this feeling of intrusion and, and, you know, that this person had was in my business in a way that I didn't feel was warranted, I had lied. I had lied to say that uh, someone did know where I was when in fact uh, no one knew exactly where I was. Uh, now I knew where I was, so maybe that counts because I'm someone. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and, and really, you know, we're not talking about, you know, the Alaskan wilderness or anything here. We're talking about a trail up in the, in the desolation, uh, or the edge of desolation wilderness. So, um, I. Uh, but I reflected on it, and I and I thought, I could have said something different. You know, there was it was would have been quite easy to to say, uh, no, no one knows exactly where I am, but I know where I am, and I know how to get back to the trailhood, trailhood, trailhead, 
but um, I, I, you know, took this for. I could have gone into a longer explanation, but I used the lie as a way of dismissing this person and, you know, continuing on my way. And I did extract some inf interesting information about where the trail did lead, um, and I followed that information. But I told the lie to this person. Uh, it was a small. Uh, in you know relatively inconsequential lie but nevertheless those are the kind of circumstances in which one is tempted to lie and which one can lie is is that one is trying to um, you know extract oneself from certain kinds of situations or um, or possibly make oneself look good in a certain situation when one isn't doing good so um, anyway, that's my confession for this talk. And uh, I'll try to wrap this up fairly soon. Uh, but I, I um, maybe I'll skip that, that part. Uh, but anyway, um, so I was going to point out uh, that there are, um, there is a trend in, in our society that I have noticed and that I don't uh, feel very uh, good about. And that is, you know, the injunction uh, against harsh speech is, is uh, regularly uh, and willfully um, transgressed against, shall we say. And uh, I'm sure if any of you have ever recently watched any of the television programs that they produce these days, uh, it seems that the the writers are you know they must have some competition in the back room about how many f bombs uh, they can drop in 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 their series. You know, I, you just feel like it's so gratuitous, and uh, and it's it just become a habit or a a, a uh, this this you know to be transgressive in this way. I don't know when this trend will end. I mean, I, but but it seems to just go on and on. And you know when you encounter this, um, for the most part, I can tell right away, like within 15 minutes of the first episode, that I'm not going to watch this thing because I'm going to be subjected to all this you know the, this harsh language, and. Um, so we, we should we should be careful. I think about what you know. Thich Nhat Hanh made this point uh, over and over again. Be careful about the inputs. Be careful about you know the kind of speech you let in, and get used to, and and let yourself be frankly assaulted by. I mean, if it, maybe you you you, you want to make some uh, some uh, adjustment in that, and really ask: Is this is this is there a point to this? I mean, there are many great novels that have been written uh, where many a broad range of emotions have been expressed, and you know there was literally never a a expletive used in the whole novel. I mean, I challenge you to find an expletive in War and Peace. You know, it just you know you can express yourself quite adequately without that kind of harsh speech. And uh, we we don't uh, we should not I don't think we should accept it I don't think we should we should support it um, because it isn't necessary and it's not the Buddha way but that's just me I am old fashioned I'm old so um, I could be coming from that that kind of attitude but I choose to remain as much as I can and uh, you know old fashioned in my speech I would like to remain that way. Um, and if I transgress on that, which I have, um, I I have to ask, I have to look right then, you know, what's going on? What's going on with me? I mean, and usually when I use that expletive, uh, I'm upset. You know, I have, I have, I have, my mind is not unaffected at that time. I've, I've become, I've become upset. And uh, that's the, and that's the kind of, that, that's the kind of response that I've made, and we have, we should be mindful about that. And I'll just close with this um, uh, discussion 
which I wanted to bring up to this song, this topic anyway. Um, this is about the timeliness of speech, the issue of the timeliness of speech, because uh, I wanted to bring up to the to the to the sangha that uh, recently I have engaged the board in a discussion and within the board of um, you know uh, the leadership of this group and how. Uh, much longer it can go on, <laughs> and uh, the need to, um, at some point in the in the uh, future, not 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 soon, not too soon, I hope, but at some point in the future, um, talk um, to the uh, or make. Uh, some changes potentially, at least at least to begin to plan for that. And now, as I'm saying this, I'm embarrassed because I asked the board not to speak about this, and and now I have. Um, so excuse me very much, but um, I I uh, I think it was I thought the yeah the cat's out of the bag. It must be the right time. But anyway, uh, what I was, <laughs> the point I was going to make, which now seems like a minor point, but the, the point I was going to make was that uh, during uh, the pandemic, I had this thought like of having this kind of discussion with the, with the board, but I thought, no, it's not the right time. Things are too uncertain. You know, who, who, you know this, I can't throw that kind of uh, curveball at the group at, at that time. It just didn't. It just didn't, it wasn't the right time to bring it up. And um, so, you know, for the duration of the pandemic, I did not bring it up. Uh, but then I felt like, oh, well, okay, now it's the right time. And, you know, I have brought it up. And there's no, there's no plan. So uh, mainly we're just talking about um, creating the conditions where a plan could be enacted, uh, mainly to do with, you know, having a vehicle to uh, support a, another teacher here, a younger teacher. Um, so we've been talking about that, and we we are going to talk about it some more later this year. Um, but it's um, the the main thing that I wanted to bring out about that is just the timeliness of one speech. Is it the right time to say something? You know, we have we have retreats, and in retreat settings, we know exactly when it's the right time to speak and when it's the right time to be silent. That's a wonderful. We we set those boundaries for ourselves in a retreat, and it and it makes the retreat go really smoothly because we know when we can speak and we know when we don't speak, and we know we keep it quiet in the zendo for sure, and outside of the zendo we try to hold the silence too except to when a necessary speech. But in other situations, in, in, in other situations, the boundaries aren't so clear. So we have to, we, you know, we, we, um, we have to, be, again, be mindful of, uh, is it the right time to speak? Is it the right time to say what I have to say? Or uh, is my speech uh, just uh, impulsive? Am I just speaking because I have a habit of speaking, and I have this, I have this, and I don't, and I don't think about the teaching of, is it the right time? So, if we're mindful again of the teaching of right time, uh, of the right time, then we, you can use that to um, work with our tendency to impulsively speak, impulsively talk. Um, so uh, I think that's quite enough, uh, and uh, I hope there's some time. <laughs> I can't believe I talked this long, but um, I would like to offer, a, uh, I'm, this is a rich topic, and I'm sure it brings up stuff for people, so perhaps you have some thoughts. Yeah, Clint. Uh, yes, Jim, this is not the first talk I've heard recently on right speech, and I don't know, it must be the season. Um, 
What occurred to me when you were mentioning about speaking the truth, like there's cold air blowing through here, um, I'm aware that truth has some degree of subjectivity to it based on the mechanism that each of us lives in and our ability to perceive it. Um, and the other thing that crossed my mind, too, uh, regarding um, speaking the truth was um, some time ago I gave a talk on the Brahmajala Sutra, which covered speculative views. And if we express one of these, you know, thinking it's the truth, it's our truth, and when challenged, we, you know, feel the emotions rise and the need to defend it, um, it's kind of an attachment, and to me it's really an indication that it may, you may want to rethink, is that really true? Uh, because I've heard more than once that the Dharma needs no defenders. Well, the, you know, the, the ultimate teaching on truth is Zuki Roshi's not always so. That's, he says that's the, the main teaching of Buddhism, not always so, or the main teaching of Mahayana Buddhism in any case. Uh, you know, the old sutras seem to say, lay out definitive practices and definitive paths that we're supposed to take, and I've brought, brought some of those forward tonight. Um, but uh, the, the circumstances are myriad. Circumstances are can't even be accounted for, and um, so when you know, and, and there we can bring up examples like when killing might even be appropriate. You know, breaking the precept of killing or breaking the precept of stealing, in order to in order to benefit innumerable beings, for instance. So. The teaching of not always so, I think, is the best teaching about truth. Thank you very much, Jim. I appreciated the talk. Um, and having a tongue that moves sometimes without concern for timeliness, I doubly appreciate it. Uh, just to throw out a, a little comment, there are other systems of... Hmm, promoting fairness amongst a community, like our laws is one of them. And we have laws that prohibit slander as, uh, just as the Buddhist precepts do. But uh, it occurs to me there's one difference between our, our precepts and the laws, at least in the United States, regarding uh, slander, which is that if somebody slanders another and it causes harm and Truth is always a complete defense against a lawsuit brought against someone for slander. But in our case, we hold ourselves to a higher standard, which is, uh, as you said, not to speak ill of, uh, of, of, um, uh, of somebody else. Even if it's true, truth is not a defense in our precepts, to speaking ill of somebody else. So that's... Okay. I don't know about the laws in Japan. Anyway, I just throw that out because it occurred to me. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for that, Larry. Um, that prompted me uh, in regard to... Uh, oh, and Dell has her hand up. Um, that prompted me to um, remember in regards to covert speech, uh, something might, a rule of thumb, if you will, that my teacher mentioned once, which is um, in regard to speech, never speak of anyone in a way that would cause someone else to be less compassionate to them. And I've, I've always thought that applied to a lot of situations. Um, so thanks very much. Mm -hmm. I, I go on with confessions, but in the interest of time, I will not. Yeah. 
two two thoughts. One was uh, planning a surprise party for somebody is another instance where covert speech is pretty good. Um, and the other thought that I've had was, or just sharing my personal experience, was that um, especially in when I was younger and high school kind of times, I, I remember like, oh, I'd say almost bordering on paranoia about being concerned about um, covert speech against myself. Um, and, and then realizing that I did it a lot myself. And uh, I wasn't a practicing Buddhist at the time, but as I remember trying to just saying, I'm not going to do that as much. And, and I noticed that it, it, um, I became less worried about it and I, I became, I suffered less, um, as I sort of maybe just assumed other people weren't doing it as much. Like, so my, yeah, point being that I felt just a personal benefit to doing it. I felt less paranoid about it happening so much around me when I, Refrain from it myself. That's an, that's an interesting. Um, that's not probably what the, what the sense of the the, the sutra or the, the teaching was, but that's a very good uh, uh, um, a twist on it. Uh, that um, we can practice. We we have the possibility of practicing covert speech against ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we can we can run ourselves down, mm-hmm. and um, in in myriad ways, um, and. Uh, yeah, to be mindful of that kind of covert speech is a benefit to self and others as well. Thank you. Jim, Dell has her hand up. Odell, yeah. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say that um, with a, a practice like speaking kindly of people and only talking to the person themselves when you want to say something maybe that you didn't like, or instead of talking to other people, um, it gives an enormous sense of safety to the group, or at least that's what I have I have felt as a result of having this um, precept, you know. So I just wanted to add that. I think it it is this amazing dimension to the group. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, you know, the, the, that is, again, all these, all these precepts on speech are really, are really have the, you know, the precepts were, were according to the historical narrative, were, were brought out to, because there were problems in the Sangha. There, were, there was conflict in the Sangha. And so the, 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 the Buddha uh, brought out the precepts to address problems in the Sangha. So this is this historical story, and I think we just know from living as we do in groups in every situation uh, that this kind of right speech is the key to harmony, the key to social harmony, and and not following it, not 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 being mindful of it, and and breaking those precepts is is. Is what causes uh, social groups to, to to fall apart. I mean, and this this happens, you know, on a, on a big big scales as well as small communities as well. Um, when people, um, uh, well, when 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 whole groups aren't listened to, for instance, uh, then it causes great social upheaval. And I just had the thought, what if our politicians followed this rule and didn't speak of the faults of others? <laughs> that would really be something. That, that would be, that would be uh, I think, New Zealand or uh, <laughs> I think we'd, it would be, we'd in, be in Denmark or where would we be? Uh, uh, Bhutan, maybe? We've heard of that. Iceland? I don't know. But, you know, there are... Yeah, we, 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 we would be in some uh, Shangri-La, no doubt, if, if, uh, if the political leaders followed these precepts. But they, you know, that's, 
this doesn't appear to be their way. Um, there, I think there is one Buddhist member of Congress. I hope he's doing well. Um, I don't know how he's doing, but uh, I hope he's doing well. Um, and negotiating the path in that environment. Um, so I completely agree like we shouldn't be gossiping about people and, and that kind of thing I have absolutely no problem with that whatsoever um, but then the other side of that is then what do you do when a problem arises because it's very easy to take this too far and then not address problems that need to be taken care of mm -hmm. um, so there's a there's a balance there that needs to be kept as well. Right. Because the other side of, you know, the flip side of, of um, not gossiping is not necessarily gossiping, but not dealing with issues that need to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, uh, that's why this precept is, is, so difficult and but also so vital um, that because we, we 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 shouldn't use it we shouldn't use it to suppress what should be said and but but we need then then we need to but then we need to really ponder how uh, you I can I can be effective in communication and not blow up a person or a, a situation and. Uh, we've 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 had situations like that here in the Dharma Center, and we've we've struggled, uh, but we have we have met those kinds of challenges here. And uh, if those kinds of challenges ever arise in this sangha, uh, I think we should take them on. You know, we should be uh, we should not turn away from uh, difficult uh, problems that need to be addressed that may hurt. You know, but when they're addressed, they may hurt a person's feelings, and then we need to be very careful and very, very concerned, uh, and 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 uh, make sure that our compassion for, say, a problem person doing something, that our compassion does not wane as we talk to them about problematic behavior or whatever it is, and uh, it's difficult. I've been in those meetings, and it's and it's hard to do, and it's. And and uh, I I would never claim uh, that I'm be, I'm myself am the most effective person. I, I know Brett's uh, studied um, uh, nonviolent communication, and if anyone is interested in really going deeply into um, into right speech in a very practical way and using and and doing it. Uh, you know, in situ with with a group, and you know, really practicing it. I really recommend that modality. It's a it's a very powerful modality that was created by Marshall Rosenberg, and was uh, it's it's a little bit waned in popularity, but for a while it seemed like it was everywhere. But I'm still I'm sure you can still get in groups, and anybody would benefit. I was in a group for a while. Uh, practicing that modality, and uh, it, it wasn't easy to do it, even in even in uh, a setting where it was really encouraged, let alone in just you know normal social you know groups. So I think it's getting on. Yes, it's nine o'clock. So I think we should end. Thank you so much.